Today's scripture reading is Luke 25 through 33. If you have a Bible, we would love for you to follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Please feel free to grab one off the tables on your way out. Again, our reading is Luke 2, 25 through 33. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation of the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Good to be together. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that uh, you would give us um, faith like Simeon's this morning, that we could say even at the sight of this little baby Jesus, we can depart in peace. Our eyes have seen your salvation. But God, I realize for us to be able to say that, uh, we are, uh, many of us, I mean, we're distracted, so much to do. God, we're perhaps come here disappointed, um, feeling loss or grief or loneliness more intensely this time of year. Others, others of us, just, we just feel overwhelmed with, with doubt, perhaps even unbelief, God, looking at this ancient story. And so, God, I pray that by your Spirit, you would um, use these words written down so long ago and bring them to life in our hearts through your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, despite what you may believe, and I realize with probably some good reason, okay, but despite what you, what you may believe about me, I am not a Grinch, okay? Uh, I, I, I love Christmas. This is a rumor, I know, it's going around. Like, I love Christmas, okay? I am, I am not a Grinch, all right? But, sometimes I am just a little bit of a Grinch. Uh, like, like, for example, and, uh, like, I know you've had this experience. Like, don't you ever, like, especially like when you look around and you, you sort of see the ways in which we tend to, to celebrate Christmas today, don't you ever like just sort of wonder like, like, who is all this for? Like, who, who, are, these, who are these things for? Like, you, you know, you, heard, you hear certain of these songs. You're like, you know, like, like, why? Like, or, or you see some of these movies. Is it just for the people who like, you know, warm fuzzies and terrible writing? Like, is that, is that who it's for, right? Or, or maybe, like, by the, by the time you go to your fifth Christmas party... Like, is it, is it just for fun people, right? Is it just for the Reed Capels of the world? Here we go. Look at that guy. <sighs> Good grief. Like extroverts, right? This is our pastor, people, right here. Here's another one. You like that? It's good. Um, and I, I love this last one especially because you look at the look of disdain on my face. Um, 
and of course the Grinch t-shirt uh, to boot. Uh, so I mean, yeah, okay, so maybe it's, maybe it's just for, for people who like having fun, right? Party, party people. Or maybe, like, maybe you're even more cynical. Like, actually, it's just Christmas is for the economy. Let's be honest here, right? Amazon's the real winner this time of year, aren't they? Yeah. Or, or maybe, like, kids. It's for kids. I mean, do you remember Christmas as a child? Is anything great? Kids, are you excited or what? Right? Of course. Or maybe you think on the one hand, it's just, I mean, it's just, we celebrate Christmas because we've always celebrated Christmas. It's just cultural. It's part of being an American. You know, don't overthink it, right? Or on the other hand, it's, it's really just for the religious. You know, the people who think they're decent, churchy types, who like believing in far-fetched stories. So who is it? I mean, seriously, like, think about that. Who is Christmas for? We take it, we take it for granted, but like, is it really for us? Do we have anything here worth celebrating? And is it really for you? Now, to answer that question, we are going to, I don't know, this might be a little unorthodox, the Sunday before Christmas, but we're going to skip past the shepherds and the angels and the mangers. We did that last week, people. It's, it's fine, right? You know the story. And we're going to skip past that because the, the author, he pushes us back just a tiny bit further in this story. We, we actually enter this story. You heard it just read. This is six weeks after the birth of Jesus. And Jesus is six weeks old when he meets this guy who answers this question for us of who is Christmas for? So if you haven't turned there already, turn to, to Luke chapter 2. And, and think about, like, we're no longer, if you're here last week, we're no longer in Bethlehem. Now we're in Jerusalem. We're no longer in a manger. We're in the temple, okay? And, and even, even though, like, Luke, like, he connects these two stories, they're only six weeks and a few miles apart. They feel like worlds apart, don't they? This is a dramatic scene change in what Luke, the author, is trying to do as he, as he tells a story. And, and there in the temple, we meet Simeon. And Simeon is an old man who has spent his entire life waiting. And we know nothing about him other than what's written right here. We know nothing about his life before this, nothing about his life after this. I mean, this is his 15 minutes, okay? And, and Luke is the only gospel writer who includes this, this story, it's, it's so obscure, it's probably one of the less familiar Christmas stories for many of us, and yet one thing that fascinates me about this is Rembrandt, you know the painter in the 1600s, um, you've heard of him probably, uh, like he painted this scene three times. Once at the very beginning of his career, once in the middle, and once, in fact, this one here, this, he didn't finish this, he, he died before he completed this painting. And so, like, something, something grabbed this incredible artist about this story, of all the things he could have painted, right? All the scripture stories, everything he could have done. He paints this one three times. And this one just shortly before his death, and I can't help but wonder if that's why he looks so haggard and worn, right? Simeon just looks old and tired. Okay, Nathan, so is that who Christmas is for, old men who look like Santa? Um, no, okay, wait for it. We'll get there. Listen to how Luke describes Simeon. Let me read again, beginning in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem 
whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he'd spent his entire life, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the implication in the text. His entire life searching for Messiah, okay? Waiting. And, and, and Messiah, just so you know, like Messiah and Christ, so those are, those are the same words. They're just translated differently, okay? And so, like, when you hear Jesus Christ, like, that's not his last name, like Jesus Miller or Jesus Smith, right? Uh, it's, his, it's his title, Jesus Messiah. And so he's waiting for the Messiah, the one who has promised to come. And this means like Simeon, he understood the Old Testament that every, every story in this book points to this one who is coming, this redeemer who would rescue. Like he, he understands the story. He knew his Bible well. And somehow, we're not giving any of these details, I wish we were, somehow through the Holy Spirit, he had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he'd seen the Messiah that he would, he would one day meet him. And so he has been waiting and watching and waiting. And by this point, he is old, but he's not done. Like he's, he's tired, right? But he's, he's not checked out. He hasn't just sort of, you know, moved to Florida or d- devoted the rest of his life to improving his golf swing, right? He, he, he's searching. There's something in him that's still is longing for what God has. And I just wonder how long it's been at this point. Because we don't, we don't know when it was revealed to him, hey, you're going to see the Messiah. We don't know. Like, was it 10 years ago? Was it 50? I don't know. I mean, think about, like, how many babies did he inspect until he saw this one? And with each passing year, like, do you wonder, like, as, as each moment passed, like, did he ever get tired of searching, bored of waiting, cynical of the silence? I mean, surely, like, the longer he waited, the longer he looked, the opportunity for doubt just continued to grow, right? And some of, some of you know that intimately, like, you've been waiting a really long time, you've been praying for relief, and every month that passes, every year, every decade... Like, it gets harder and harder to trust. Did Simeon ever think about giving up? And then suddenly, right, there in the temple, he sees a baby. His eyes were old, but there was no mistaking this one. And it just seems like some random baby, right? Like, there's no, there's no choir singing. There's nothing, nothing magical that's happening here. And in fact, Luke tells us, like, his parents come in holding two small birds. Those are, those are the sacrifice of the poor. Like, these are nobodies. There, there's nothing to draw his eyes to them. And yet, Simeon sees. Like, in the hustle of the temple... And the busyness that this place would have been in the first century, I mean, I kind of imagine it like, you know, Costco on the Saturday before Christmas. Like, there are people everywhere, and yet nobody notices this poor family with a puny baby. The priests don't notice. The Pharisees, the scribes, all of God's people there in that place who've come to worship, right? None of them notice. But why would they? It's just some random baby some poor family 
But Simeon sees, for he spent his whole life searching. So who is Christmas for? Christmas is for those who search for it. For those who who long for it, who wait for it, who keep looking for it, right, and and who don't give up. Because it's it's so easy to lose sight of it, isn't it? I mean, for a variety of reasons. For one, I mean, it's, we lose sight of it because we're just, we're so busy this time of year, right? It's so much, like, we're exhausted. We're running frantically, right? Shopping, wrapping, cooking, baking, traveling, like, you name it. Like, we've got so much to do. And for some of us, like, if we're honest, our pace is so frenzied, we're going to miss them this year, aren't we? It's going to happen. For, for, others, for others of us, like, we just get tired of looking. Like, you've been disappointed too many times. And, you know, you look at the relationships in your life, and they're just, they're just a mess. Or you, you, you examine your circumstances, and you're like, why don't they ever get better? Like, that thing you keep hoping for, praying for, that, that experience of loss or loneliness is just heightened this time of year. For other, others of us, it's because of our doubts, right? Maybe even unbelief. We're just overwhelmed with this story. And think, man, do we, act, do we, do we really believe this stuff? I mean, either way, it is so easy to be like the crowds. It could be because of our distractions, our disappointments, our doubts. But we can look right past him. And so let me, let me just ask, if Christmas is for those who search for it, where are we looking? Are you looking for him? And I don't think you're to find him under the tree. I don't think even if everything is perfect with your family, and let me let you in a little secret, it's not going to be, right? It's going to be chaotic. But even if it was, right? It's not going to be enough to satisfy. Or the thing you're waiting for, even if it were to come true. Because people, what we need, Simeon saw, we need a Messiah. We need, we need one who will rescue us and make us whole once more. And Christmas is for those who know they need it. Who know they can't do it on their own. Like, who know they need him and watch for him. Like, they are the ones who can truly celebrate. So slow down. Look around. Do you see him? That's who Christmas is for. It's for those who search for it. Okay, so Simeon then, like, you know, he sees him off in the distance, right? He's like, whoa, that baby. It's got to be that baby, right? And so, like, I imagine him, like, running over there, you know, because he's just, he can't hardly contain himself. Like, if you were Mary and Joseph in this moment, right? Okay, this is, this is their firstborn. Mary's a teenager. Uh, Jesus is six weeks old. We know that because of the timing of the sacrifice that brought them to the temple. So he had to be right around six weeks old. And so, I mean... Again, put yourself in their shoes. They probably haven't slept in six weeks, right? Uh, it's likely that they just made the, the three-plus-hour walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to do this. They, they grew up in small town. Now they're in big city, right, Jerusalem, bleary-eyed and overwhelmed when a crazy-looking old man runs up to them and grabs their baby. Like, how did Mary respond in that moment? Like, did she hesitate? Did she, did she panic? Did she look at her husband in fear? Just try to remember the number for Amber Alert, right? Like Simeon grabs their baby out of their arms and starts singing. I mean, strangers are supposed to come up and tell you that you have a cute kid, right? 
Like, we kind of expect that. Like, that's normal. That's okay. But like, to grab your child and on the spot sing a song about them loud enough for all to hear. Like, this is crazy, isn't it? Like, in his song? I mean, it must have been so strange for them to hear. Listen to these words. I'm not going to sing it for you. I don't know how it went, but it's a poem, right? Um, you can thank me later. Verse, verse 29, this is his song. He, again, I mean, he runs over, grabs his baby, and these words just flow out of his mouth. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I can die now. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, I bet they did, right? They're absolutely amazed. And I, and I think I mean, there's a lot that they probably marveled at in those words, in that experience. But I think most of all was that phrase, a light to the Gentiles. I mean, how, how must that have struck them in that moment? In fact, I love, uh, Rembrandt's got, so another painting here, this is the one that he did kind of in the middle of his career. And I love, like, Jesus is lighting up that room, right? I mean, he had to be focusing on this, 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 this phrase, light to the Gentiles, that Jesus would be this, this light. And to the Gentiles, like, that means to everyone, to all people, no matter who they are, all kinds of people, every, every nation, tribe, tongue, like, all kinds of people are included in that word, Gentiles. And for us, like, we hear that and we kind of expect it. I think it's because most of us in this room are probably Gentiles, right? We're non-Jewish people. And so we're like, of course we're included, right? Of course Christmas is for us. Why wouldn't be, you know? We sort of come with that assumption. But it's like, you got to enter their world for a moment. Simeon's entire life had been oppressed by the Gentiles. We talked about this last week, right? They are, they are living in Roman-occupied Israel. And so they, they are taxed too heavily. They are exploited at every turn. They are controlled by the people. I mean, some of you probably knew people like friends, acquaintances who had been crucified by the Romans. The Romans were despised, unwanted. And Simeon praises God that Christmas is for them. That Jesus came also for them. So who is Christmas for? Well, yeah, it's, it's for those who search for it, wait for it, long for it, look for it, are desperate for it. But it's also for those who don't belong. Christmas is for those who don't belong. And like, there's no one in the, in the first century the Israelites hated more than the Gentiles and the Romans in particular, right? And yet Simeon praises God. And so let me just ask, like, <laughs> who do you hate the most? Oh, I know, we're so pious in here, aren't we? Oh, I don't hate anybody. Liar. I mean, we, we wouldn't use that word because that's, like, so culturally taboo. I don't hate anyone, right? We're, we're so tolerant, we're so accepting, and, like, you got your list, though. You got a, you got a whole list of people or, or individuals or even people you can picture right now that you would not want walking into your Christmas party, Right? You don't want to celebrate with them. It could be people who look differently than you, act differently, speak differently, right? So who are your Gentiles? Republicans? Democrats? People who are too into politics or people who are not into politics enough or maybe it's pastors who like to point this out from time to time, right? <laughs> I get it. I get it. Who is it for you? Muslims, immigrants, 
People in the LGBTQ community, the educated, the uneducated, people with money, people without money, millennials, right? Or, or people with a few too many wrinkles like Simeon. People who are other. Who is it for you? This past week, we brought in a couple of experts to our church to spend time with some of our, all of our staff and uh, quite a few of our, of our leaders as well uh, to help us think through what it looks like for us to be a welcoming church for all peoples. To think about what does it mean to welcome and pursue, to, to love those that even in our world today, even in some churches today, right, are just sort of considered pushed out as the, the other. Because I don't know if you know this, but we're fairly homogenous in here. We have diversity when it comes to age, certainly, education, economics, gender, yes. But ethnicity? Like we, don't, we don't reflect our community, people. Which means we don't reflect God's heart. We don't reflect his kingdom. And we need to do better. Like, we are missing out in this. And we have so much to learn. And so we're taking these steps together to, to help us move forward in ways that, that truly love. And like this time, like it was, it was deeply humbling, but also motivating. I mean, the, the main presenter, uh, Dr. Christina Edmondson, she reminded us how, how easy it is to love the people who love us, right? Who are like us. And even like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, like he talks about that. It's like, great, you love people who love you. Wow, you know, we're all super impressed. Like anybody can do that. You could, anybody can love people who are like us. But she reminded us that at the core of the early church from the beginning, even with Simeon here in this story, like in chapter 2 of Luke, right in the early parts of this gospel, and we can look back, like even before that in the Old Testament, you see over and over again that God's heart is for all people. And Jesus came for all people. And one of the most countercultural things the early church did, like we forget how shocking this was for them in the first century. One of the most shocking things the early church did is that they put Jew and Gentile together to worship Jesus. Slave and free, rich and poor, male and female. Like this is the first time in the history of the world that, that like groups like this could love one another, could care for one another. And one of the most gospel-centered, countercultural things we can do today is the same. And so whoever, whoever we don't think belongs, right, or, or that you don't want to hang out with, or you've just written off, or just gravitate away from, whatever, right, or just passive to, like that is exactly who Jesus came for. And so let me, let me ask, if, if Christmas is for those who don't belong, where can we spread our arms wider? Collectively, personally? Like, what would that look like for you, for me, to spread our arms wider? So I am, I am excited for Christmas. I mean, truly, I am. I'm not a Grinch. Um, but I just, I mean, I hate, I hate saying this, but like, to be completely honest, there is someone that's going to be a part of my Christmas celebration that I just, I do not want to see. Man, I wish, I wish they wouldn't come. Our last significant interaction together was a train wreck. Like, and this person has hurt me to the point of rage and now to the point of indifference. I'll spare you the details, but it's, it's ugly. And I, I don't want to do it, right? 
And it just so happens I have to preach this sermon about Simeon, who was like, okay, even the Romans, right? Like, I mean, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Because the reality is, like, if Jesus didn't come for the people that we think, that we've written off, that we push to the, to the margins, like, who did he come for, right? And how we engage the other is how we engage Jesus. And if we, if you and I want Jesus for ourselves, we've got to remember that we're the other. Like most of us in the room, we're the Gentiles that Simeon is praising God for being a light to. I'm not Jewish. Like, and, and more than that, like I've rebelled against God. I, I've declared war on the God who made me. I have offended God's heart way more than, I've, than this person in my life has ever offended me, could ever hurt me. <clears throat> And even so, our God opens wide his arms for us, welcoming us to the party. And so how can we not do the same for others? That's who Christmas is for. And then Simeon now, he's like, I can die now. Like, think about that. Like, that's his response in this moment. And he, and he means it. He says, like, for my eyes have seen your salvation and when his song is over, he has just a little bit more to say to Mary and Joseph. In fact, this was the first of, of Rembrandt's, Rembrandt's painting of this story. I think it's probably my favorite. Do we have that one? There it is. Because it's, it's, it's just how I, I imagine this part happening, right? He's just saying this song, and he's, he's kneeling, he's leaning in, he's looking deep into Mary's eyes. And he shares with her this haunting word of prophecy. I mean, it's like his song is over. He's like, Mary, I sing. Yes, I rejoice. This is, this is a good day. But I want you to know there is pain coming. Your son is the Savior. He is the Messiah. But the wait will be long and the road will be hard. And you can, like, you can see the fear in Mary's eyes, can't you? Most, most translations are difficult here. Let me read it from the message. Verse 34. Simeon went on to bless them and said to Mary, his mother, this child marks both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel. A figure misunderstood and contradicted the pain of a sword thrust through you. But the rejection will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. You're saying to your son, he's going to be misunderstood? contradicted, rejected. And I think he even goes further. I mean, what would it be like for Mary 30-odd years later to watch as her own son is hung on a cross? This is part of that story that he is telling her in that moment. It's like a sword piercing her own soul, isn't it? And you know, Luke, Luke is the author here. Luke probably met Mary as he was doing the research for, the, for this gospel. He, that's how this gospel starts, is he's talking to as many people as he can to, to write these things down so that we can have confidence that they, that they are true. And he probably, I mean, think about that. Imagine that. There's a good chance that he heard this story from Mary's own mouth as he wrote it down for us. Because you know Mary, she, she could never forget this. That yes, this, this strange old man telling you, yes, your son, he is the Savior. Yes, he's the Messiah. He is the one that we have been waiting for for all people. 
but he's a suffering Messiah. And this suffering, this waiting, this painful joy that we have, this bleak hope, this haunting beauty, this is what it means for us to follow Jesus. In other words, Christmas is for those who still wait. That's the last thing, because we're still waiting. I mean, Mary, she's waiting even here, right? She's, she experienced this, 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 this sorrow and the agony of this moment. And Simeon, like, like bless his heart, right? It's sort of implied in the story, the way it talks about his, his death, that he's prompt, like, it's sort of implied that, like, this is it for him, right? That he's not going to live much longer than this. Like, this is his crowning moment, and he's going to go off and die, which means he never saw Jesus grow up. He never saw any of the miracles. He never heard any of the sermons. He didn't see the cross or the empty tomb. He dies still waiting. And you and I, we've, we've heard the stories, and I believe them. We've experienced his grace, his church, his spirit at work within us, but we, we're still waiting. He hasn't returned yet. He hasn't, he hasn't made this world right. He hasn't made me right. We are still waiting, and yet even so, Simeon says, in the midst of his wait, it's okay. I can die now. I mean, who says that? Jesus, I'm ready, right? I'm ready to go. If today's the day, fine. Like, how, how could he? Well, because he'd seen Jesus. I mean, think about that. The most important thing this man ever does is hold a baby. That's it. We literally know nothing else about him. He is a minor player in God's redemptive plan. I mean, such a tiny little, like most of us, frankly, right? He's a nobody. We're nobodies. And yet, we're waiting. And somehow, seeing Jesus is enough for him. And you and I can still see him if we're searching. We can still stretch our arms wide for he has opened wide his arms for us. And one day he will return and the wait will be over. This is who Christmas is for. This is what it's about. Seeing Jesus once again, like taking, taking this baby in our arms, loving him and trusting our life to him and saying, if, if it's today, Lord, I'm Okay. I can depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And then, like Simeon, we sing. But before we do that, I want to take just a moment. Like, consider this our gift to you, okay? Because this is like perhaps the one minute of silence you're going to get all week, okay? So let's take it together quiet ourselves, to sit for a moment, and simply to reflect on, a, on maybe one or two of these questions, okay, that, that we've asked. Where are you looking? Where can you spread your arms wider? Or finally, what will it take for you to be ready? It's only a minute. Enjoy it. Pick one of those questions, and then we'll sing. Let's pray quietly together.